It's Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our conversation with Lynette Ezel and Tara Melber. And just as a reminder, Lynette is married to Kevin, who is the uh, president uh, of the North American Mission Board. And Tara is married to David, who is the president of Send Relief, uh, a ministry of North American Mission Board. And these ladies have both have families of six children, uh, three of which were adopted, multi-ethnic adoptions. And so we want to continue this conversation as they help us learn more about how to have these important, integral, hard conversation with our kids about race and about adoption. Yeah, and I know, you know, that's, that's part of the thing. We, we a lot of times talk about multi-ethnic families and we talk about some of those struggles. But I love what you say. It's also enriching. And so what yeah. would you guys say are some of those lessons that you and uh, Lynette, you and Kevin, or Tara, you and David, you never could have taught your kids the way they were taught because you stepped into multi-ethnic adoption? Yeah, just, you know, for us stepping into, you know, yeah, it's life experiences like Taylor, like Tara said that you just, you know, we're, we could, we could, we could preach that, but to live it, to put legs on it, to breathe it, to wake up to it every day, to, to be, walk into a restaurant and everybody stops and stares at you when I'm traveling back home and I have to go through Pulaski. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different world. And so, um, you know, it, it really did. It just really made our children, um, we had a situation with our youngest not too long ago where we too had to go to bat for her. And it was a game changer in her heart because she knew we loved her. She knew we would, you know, we're always there for her. But when she saw us speak truth and really take a stand for her in a very important meeting, a little, a meeting that could have gotten heated, um, she really, you, you know, she just said, mom, that, that really, really changed my world. It's, it's like uh, Tara's son had said, but you know, I think to bring healing to a child's self-image, all of my children, all six of my children, for them to be strong in the Lord and to know who they are in Christ, we had to bring and show appreciation for our children, for their uh, their birth countries, for their backgrounds, their culture, their race, their their ethnicity, all that we are. I mean, I'm a melting pot when I have my DNA. I mean, I'm a melting pot, you know, I'm and so my husband is completely something different. And then, you know, then you have all these different skin tones at our house. And it's just made, it's just bonded our hearts. It really has and just given us such a deep love for one another as we point to our creator and say, Lord, look at what you've done. Our differences are a reflection of who you are and what you have made. And thank you, Lord, that we have to, you know, we get to be a small little example of the heart of God. I, he just it's just amazing to me well it brings to it brings to life the bible as well when the lord says you know mm-hmm. every tribe tongue and nation will be with me in heaven yes. it's really broken down a lot of barriers of maybe even thoughts that i had out of just ignorance growing up wondering the differences but being you know living in a very um homogenous uh region of the country um, I believe that it has broken down a lot of barriers where 
you know, now I have, you know, every tribe, tongue, and nation that come over to my house to play ping pong on a regular basis of friends of my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's taught us to love one another and to not, um, not look at outward appearance, but to truly look at the person um, when, when you're meeting people and not having preconceived notions because of things that you don't know. Um, and then we, you know, I've even told the, the kids many, many times, you know, Dr. Ben Carson, when he ran for president, was asked by an NPR reporter why he didn't talk about race very often. And he said, because I'm a neurosurgeon and when I take somebody in the operating room, I'm operating on the thing that makes them who they are and the skin doesn't make them who they are. My That's right. Asian daughter's dark skin and almond eyes don't make her the person on the inside who she is. My son's dark skin and chocolate eyes and curly hair doesn't make them, you know, a certain way that people perceive them as. My Caucasian children are not who they are because of the color of their skin. So it's broken down barriers and allowed us to see people for people and to love them because we've been called to love and to know that we were all made. We were all created from one man. I mean, Acts, That's right. Acts 17, 26 says he made one, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. It's just, it's brought the Bible to life. And I want to be a part. I want to be a part of a multi-ethnic mm-hmm. church. I love my multi-ethnic family because that's what heaven's going to be. And, and I want to be, mm-hmm. I long to be with the Lord. And when I am, I'm going to be surrounded by people who don't look anything like me. That's right. And, you know, the Lord, we see in Revelation 15, you know, all nations will come and worship before you shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, side by side. And I, man, I look forward to that day. Amen. Well, even thinking about some of these situations, I know a lot of times being moms in multi-ethnic families, you find yourselves responding a lot to things that happen, things that you you don't expect things that uh, are, are unexpected. And that's, that's not just being a mom and a multi-ethnic family. That's being a mom and a dad and a human being. But looking back, say, 10 years ago, if there were conversations you could have had then that would have prepared your kids, your bio kids, your adopted kids, your whole family, better for the experiences that they're having today. Lynette, why don't you start out? What, what are some of those conversations you wish you could have had with your kids 10 years ago? Well, I think one of the things I learned to do um, is to go to the teacher before school started and say, especially when we moved to Alpharetta, because we left our comfort zone. Um, My kids were in a school where everything at the end of the day stopped at their dad's desk because he was the senior pastor plus you know, so we could kind of keep, we kind of knew everyone in the school and adoption was such a um, Karen, Dave, and I, and Kevin, we were in, in Louisville. It was such a, a norm. I mean, it was just part of who we were. And so when we moved to Atlanta, I felt like we were in the fishbowl again. And so I think when we moved to Atlanta, I should have had those conversations again, like, okay, we're starting over here. Mm-hmm. Because our neighborhood struggled with us a little bit until they got to know us. And I should have had that conversation with my kids. You know, we're going into a predominantly uh, we're going to an area that that's diverse. It's quite diverse, but not African American diverse so much, and Asian. And so we really looked differently. And so I should have 
taken the bull by the horns and really talked to teachers beforehand. My son, we had just adopted him, Herbie, and then moved him to uh, Atlanta. And so he was um, bounced around in so many schools. I should have intervened a little more in that, but just talked to teachers, said, yes, his English is broken. Yes, he's behind. He was behind in certain areas because he, we literally adopted Aladdin, you know, (laughs) from the Philippines. And so then we had to put him in the school system. Those are things, you know, I should have prepared them maybe more for change when we left our comfort zone. Because we had a, you know, we had a platform when when Kevin was senior pastor. And then when we we moved, we lost all that. And so I, I should, I learned though, before school started to go and say, hey, when you have family day, can we be the first ones to share about our family and show the family picture? And and that helped uh, kind of, you know, spearhead a lot. And then it trained my older kids. They were in college at the time we moved here. They're, two of mine are now married. But they learned to have conversations with their future spouses and one before she even dated anyone and said, look, we're a multiracial family. We love it. Um, that's what I want when I marry. Um, we, I want to adopt. So if you're not up for that, let's not take this up. We're not going to dinner again. And so both of my girls had those conversations of, with their future spouses and just kind of, you know, uh, headed that off before they were kind of shell shot before they walked into our door. So there are things we could have done differently. And I, I've got to tell you, though, the Lord is so sweet. There is yeah. so much that as Jehovah Nisi is my banner, he went before me and handled that I didn't have the sense to do. He's been so gracious through this whole journey. I agree a thousand percent. I think the school conversations are really, really big and talking to them ahead of time before the first start of the year, especially we had also moved and to be able to ask them even, so, you know, how do you want to handle this? Do you want, uh, you going in to talk to the teacher or whatever, but how do you want to handle this when there's a school party and I show up and so walking through those conversations with the kids is important. I think too, though, in a sense, having a bit of a sense of humor about some of the things, not like the nasty school bus, uh, situation that we had, but like the, um, soccer, situation i i didn't rip that woman apart though internally i kind of wanted to (laughs) Uh, but um just it's not like we became best friends or anything but the the whole conversation even that i have with myself of you know people are going to ask questions and sometimes they're being nasty but sometimes they are curious and so they Mm -hmm. may say dumb things not because they're trying to be mean but because they just don't have a clue what to say. So, um, and we were, we just picked up, uh, we take a bunch of kids with us to church on Wednesday nights and they vary week to week. Most of them are unchurched. And so I was picking up a new friend of our youngest son and he is also African-American. So on the drive over, I said to our son, Hey, when I go up to the front door, does his mama know I'm white? <laughs> and our son just <laughs> and he said, I can't remember if I told him or not, mom, this should be a fun one. <laughs> so in a sense, we try to make light of situations like that. And so that, I mean, it is, especially as they get older and you're not at every school party when they hit high school and they're going to practices that they're driving to. And then you show up to a game and you're white and the coaches are looking for their mom. And I'm like, that would be me. I am the mom. So 
just trying to have the conversations ahead of time to kind of thwart people from saying something dumb that they might not intend. Um, and then just talking to the older kids about, you know, these things can happen, they will happen, um, and preparing them, role-playing in advance so that they know how to handle those situations when they get into them. Yeah, that's a great point. I love the role-playing thing. That works well for us. I mean, even with, you know, teaching your kids manners, but, yeah, that role-playing thing, it really, like Tara said, it keeps them from being caught off guard, you know. Mm. Well, for both of you ladies, and, and certainly I want you to protect your children um, and not, not get so deep and intimate, but on a, on a, on a 30,000 foot view, uh, so as not to embarrass a child that might listen to this podcast, but what are some of those deep hurts that your children have shared with you that they've experienced, both your bio kids and your kids that came into your home through adoption that, that were hard conversations to have, just hurts that they brought to you, ways they've been hurt or ways they were confused or, or things that, uh, just from a, an emotional standpoint where they were broken, what are some of those things that they've brought to, to your families? And, and how would you tell other families to be able to help them respond to some of these same hurts that will happen? Oh, Tara. <laughs> I know that's a hard one. Um, you know, one, one I... Go ahead, Lynette. Well, I was just thinking one of mine was just... Um, realizing who would take me to prom, you know, that sort of thing when it kind of hit home. Um, you know, if if you're in a predominantly white class, you know, how would that work and, and would it? Um, and just that that feeling, I remember we were watching a, a show together one night, my youngest and I, my daughter from Ethiopia, and a commercial came on and it was for a bank card. And so the commercial went from black and white, kind of a gray or sepia kind of color. Then it went to full color when the man realized I have an incredible charge card in my hand. All the color came on. And she looked at me and she said, and, and the main character was a very handsome African-American man on the, on the commercial. And she looked at me and she said, I'm black. And I, this was just a few years ago. And I went, yeah, your skin's kind of mocha. You know, it's really pretty. It's kind of strange. Because she's always known that, you know. But, I mean, it just hit her. And she's like, but you're not, you know. And, and we have been so open about this. But you have your, you know, you have your moments when you can have those shoulder-to-shoulder conversations, and then you have those moments when it's eye-to-eye, and you've got to pray through it, and maybe you have some tears. But who doesn't have that in parenting, you know? And who doesn't, you know, who doesn't feel left out at some point? But to feel, we've we've really tried to um, have people at our home and keep our world open, keep our kids on the mission field, keep them investing in others where they didn't feel like um, that they're just, you know, odd men out. Mm -hmm. And I've always prayed, Lord, just build community around their life. When I moved the girls to a school about four years ago to a smaller school for uh, just one needed a smaller classroom size, that's something I prayed before we moved. Lord, please build community for them there. And the Lord has been so kind to, to answer that. Um, to really provide that. And before we brought home our daughter from Ethiopia, we said, Lord, would you just bind her heart with her Asian sister? I pray, Lord, that they would be so close that people would comment on it, that they would love each other so much that they'll never look alike, but would they just feel that kinship in their heart? 
and uh, Herbie, they are like two old women in the nursing home that share a room. I mean, it's crazy. They, the way they just adore one another, though their differences could not be more magnified, but they really love each other deeply like sisters. Mm. I think one of the things that has been just a big grief to our kids is when I've had to have hard conversations that are based on something that occurred related to their ethnicity is the question is always, why does it always have to go back to this? Mm. And it's not like the always in every situation of life, but in a specific um, comment that was made or something that you knew was, was racially charged. And, um, Man, those are painful conversations yeah. to have because you see, I have, one of our kids is really tender-hearted, and you just see the grief on that child's mm-hmm. face. Think, man, Lord, this is too. I don't want to do this. This stinks. I'd just as soon tell this one that that it had nothing to do with his ethnicity. But I'm. But we, David and I, have said all along, we're not going to back away from the heart, even though it is ripping my heart out to watch my child grieve over something so dumb as to what their outer shell is like. Because in my mind, I think specifically for this kid, anybody who meets this one loves them. Yeah. Yeah. And so the grief that I see of mom, why does it always have to come back? Why do people act that way I don't get it and I'm like baby neither do I and there have been a lot of days we just cried together like I adore you I love you our identities in Christ but that does not make the pain any easier and so ugh, it just it stinks but Lynette is so right my biological kids have had crummy things happen it's just the difference in that you know, some of the comments that have occurred for our adopted children have come because of the, the outward appearance. And it's one of those things I wish I could fix, but I can't. And so I just have to keep taking it before the Lord. It's really all I can do. Well, I know all three of us share our Southern Baptist roots. And unfortunately, so many times our Southern Baptist churches have been quiet or even complicit in racism. Um, historically in our country. And I feel like while we have definitely uh, really grown up in a lot of these areas, a lot of times, unfortunately, our churches have just grown apathetic as opposed to uh, really speaking into the hurts uh, of other ethnicities and and other peoples. Uh, I guess just as we end, Lynette first and then Tara last, would y'all just touch on why, how you think as a church we can step out of apathy and really step into loving all people, no matter the shade of skin or the shape of their eyes, no matter what their epidermis may look like. What are ways that we can step out of this apathy? And how has taking these steps as families made your family stronger? You know, I think one of the things we can do um, in, in our churches that I would love to see more of is a more diverse leadership. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're in a church now, our, our music uh, leader, he is African-American, and we have African-American leadership, and that, that really, my daughter loves that. She takes leadership at, at church. Um, we don't have that, you know, I, I just think that's really helped her a lot to just, I just wish that our churches had more leadership, like on purpose, sought out 
and prayed, Lord, just make us look more like your kingdom. And when we do small group or we go to eat out together, we have people in our home, in our church to to on purpose be more diverse. We kind of had it built in when Kevin was a pastor because like our best friends were like Dave and Tara and, and, you know, I think of our friends, Richard and Sharon Miles. And, you know, we were, we were such a diverse church because of adoption and foster care. Um, And then when we left all that, we had to really make an effort, but in the church to on purpose spend time with a brother or a sister of another race, and to spend time with them and to give them value and to give them of our time and just enjoy them and say, what's mine is yours. And then I think the world would take more notice and want to be a part of the church when they would see that. But I do think that it, it starts at, from the top up and it starts in leadership. Absolutely. And in that, in that same um, thought, I also believe that in our churches, our leadership and our congregants have got to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. If Absolutely. we rooted and grounded in the word of God, there is no room for racism or prejudice, none whatsoever. The Lord says, the Lord says that he created us all from one man, that there is no difference in, uh, there is no difference in his eyes over you know, different races and ethnicities. And so I believe that if we know the word of God and we live the word of God, this is a non-issue. There's still sinfulness in the world. And so those who are not Christ followers are still going to have racial problems and prejudices. But as the body of Christ, knowing the word of God and knowing who he is, is going to eliminate that in our church, in the church, big C church. And so as that occurs and leadership is diverse, I think that is a huge, great point when there is somebody up on the, um, on the stage that looks like our kids, man, that is a game changer. And so, it I, is. Yep. but I truly, I truly believe that the problem in our church is because we don't know the word and we are not rooted and grounded in our faith. Yeah. There is neither Jew nor Greek for yeah. you're all one in Christ Jesus. Yes. Well, ladies, I am, I'm so grateful for the way and the integrity that you lead in your homes, that you support your husbands as they lead in such important roles uh, within the church, and just grateful for the wisdom that you've given. I, I just pray that other moms and other dads and other families uh, who have either uh, opened up their homes through adoption or through foster care to other ethnicities and other races We'll just learn and grow from the wisdom that you've shared, uh, but also for those of us as well who have not yet stepped into foster care or adoption, that we would not be apathetic, but that we would step into these spaces because truly Jesus has woven a beautiful tapestry uh, of people that he's bringing into a kingdom of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Ladies, we're, we're thankful for you and just want to, again, ask people to look for the Adopting and Fostering Home podcast. If you've enjoyed and listened to the wisdom from these ladies. You can continue to get that through their podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, Herbie. Thanks for having us. 
Well, I hope you've enjoyed this two-part conversation that we've been able to have with Lynette Ezel and Tara Melber. If you enjoy the Defender Podcast, would you please let us know by either dropping us an email at info at lifelinechild.org or also letting us know of, of topics or conversations or people that you would like to hear us interview or talk to or topics you'd like to hear us discuss. Also, if you can, would you go to uh, iTunes podcast app or to the app choice of your choice and give us a rating. Ratings help people be able to find our podcast, but it also lets us know that you are appreciating the content and the work that's going forth. And and, and with that, asking you to do a rating, I just want to also thank uh, Justin Walters. He is behind the scenes helping with all the technology, making sure that the podcast is posted, editing the podcast and going through. We're so grateful for, for Justin and for others like him who are helping make the podcast the success that it is. Again, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.